0: Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Scott Stedman Podcast. Today, we have a very exciting episode, and especially this is our 200th episode. I, Micah, can you believe I've done 200 episodes? I was wondering when that was going to come up, because you were like 180. It, we talked about 180 over the summer or the spring or something, and it kind of just snuck up on us. Yeah, it snuck like up. It's here. It, it's wow. it, it's it's here. So. Throw the confetti you, in the air. <laughs> it's Noisemakers Confetti. Uh, so today it's a special one because not only it's the 200th, but we have a couple of other guests joining us today. I have Karma Wood joining us. Karma, how are you doing today?
1: I'm doing well, thanks. Good to be with you. Thanks for the invitation.
0: And I'm going to butcher your last name, Nick, so, I, so I'll i let you <laughs> say, but I also have Nick joining us today. And how do you say your last name, Nick? Uh,
2: Stanton Rourke.
0: Stan Roark, a, okay, that's what I thought. Yeah, but it's a hy- hy- hyphenated name. I know, I'm, I've been known to butcher people's names. So it's like, <laughs> if I'm not comfortable, I'm just going to let you say it. Um, and if you if these names don't sound familiar, or if they do sound familiar, these are uh, people who have a kind of, I guess, I'm going to, you guys call yourselves the, um, the author signatures or kind of the authors of Church of God Affirm. Uh, which I think at the beginning of the year, it was interesting how I didn't know anything about you guys. And all of a sudden, you came on the scene and and exploded. So we're very, um, very excited to talk with you guys. Uh, so just kind of give us a quick introduction, just uh, who you are, kind of your ministry context, if you are in ministry. And, and I guess kind of what led you guys to kind of start thinking about starting not only this website, but kind of started ta- thinking about um the affirmation of LGBTQ individuals and the Church of God Reformation movement.
1: Nick, you want me to start? Or you want to yeah. start? Well, you're you're sort of the catalyst, so yeah. Okay. Ahead. Okay. I'm gonna start. Um The my ministry context is I have been a a worship pastor for approximately 30 years. I had a three and a half year break from that where I worked for Gloria Gaither in Alexandria. But I am a co-founder of the Mountain Park Church in Phoenix, Arizona, and I was there for 17 years. And then I moved to back to Anderson because family lived here. And I worked for Gloria, and then I interviewed at Park Place and have been the worship pastor for Park Place for the past 14 years and am recently retired from that role. Um, so that's my ministry context. I'm an ordained pastor in the Church of God and uh, have a Master's of Theological Studies from the seminary. <clears throat> and the, 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 Beginnings of Chaga Firm were probably started 10 years ago in my brain, um, where I I have been affirming. I, I don't remember a time where I haven't been affirming, and I definitely have grown and uh, gained new awareness and understanding, greater awareness and understanding, and definitely enriched uh, my understanding of what the biblical texts say and what they don't say. Um, but also just the the engagement with the LGBTQ plus community just have uh, an enriched understanding uh, over the past decade, definitely. Um, but uh, Vern Norris was one of my professors. And I don't know, you may know Vern Norris. He was a professor of sociology back in the seventies when I went to AC in those days, and he uh, taught uh, affirmation, even though that word was not used to label the way we engage and include the LGBTQ plus community. But uh, he he taught that that uh, the gay lifestyle, the gay uh, reality of being gay, was something that was a normal um human experience and a real true human experience that that uh should be validated and uh celebrated and um accepted and, and included um and so from those days and having that uh one of those foundational experiences uh moving up to present day our pastor at park place was very um, open to having conversations about how we engage the LGBTQ community. Um, and uh, at the time that was David Markle, Dave held a traditional view and yet he was aware that many of us on staff were affirming and he was, he was willing to let us have those conversations and and let that be a safe space. Park Place has many, many affirming, uh people who have that view um in the congregation and people who have been proactive in their during their whole lives people who are 20 years older than me um who have been proactive in their whole life to be include inclusive and affirming of the queer community um so in that context um i i'll jump a little bit um i i had a seminary class when I went back to get my master's. At, I, w- I was 60-something then. I can't remember, 60, probably maybe just 60 then. I went back to get my master's, and one of the classes that I took was an ethics class from Dr. Lewis, and the assignment was to write a, a paper, a position paper on uh, homosexuality, a survey of the moral landscape, or something like that. And um and and it was a position paper basically and so um my position i knew at the beginning was affirming but i wrote the paper um and learned a lot i i learned a lot about the various aspects of being a part of the queer community um uh, the sociological the psychological the biblical and the theological uh context for that being uh, for the affirming view to be a possibility um, as a Christ follower and as a pastor and um, landed on that conclusion, then went back to my, my uh, pastor at the time and asked if we could have a, um, a setting at church where we, he gave the traditional view and I gave the, the affirming inclusive view and he very generously uh, let that be uh, a setting that we provided. It wasn't a Sunday morning, but uh, <laughs> on a Sunday evening in a in a more um, more casual setting, um, we we basically presented those two views as Christians, as Christ followers, um, and use biblical. Uh, biblical foundations for both uh we talked some about the experiential and and that kind of thing but most of it was biblical theological um, basis for the possibility of the different views and um and so the congregation was had the option of, of coming and listening we had a, a great turnout for that as you can imagine because it's something that the church is is fully engaged in these days and um and that that gave me um just an encouragement. And I I I really um claim that the Holy Spirit was that encourager. Um it that was a seed that open that open door to have that conversation in a setting like Park Place that does that is willing to have some of those hard conversations uh without necessarily having to land. Uh, all in the same space and, and leave some things kind of undone on the edges. And um, so, so when I was heading towards retirement, I prayed about, okay, what would my, um, what would my retirement look like? And the church graciously granted me a sabbatical right before I retired, which is, you know, kind of not, it's not what you're supposed to do, but I had, it's (laughs) not what you're supposed to do, but they were great. I, my, you know, I, I was, I was, I had earned a sabbatical, but you know, you don't do that before you retire. So, but anyway, they gave it to me. So in my sabbatical proposal, it was primarily to explore uh, more reading Um. And uh, more understanding of the queer community and of the biblical foundations of an affirming view and a theological context for that. And also to be proactive in moving into, um, first of all, being honest with my with my higher ups. You know, uh, we we have been so um, don't ask, don't tell. Really, I mean, we've been just as poor at that as the military, which is just it it is i mean i you know I don't want to get heavy right at the beginning, but I'm gonna get heavy <laughs> It's hypocrisy, it's hypocrisy, and um, and that was just so dis had been disingenuine for me for a long time, so though I had a circle of people who knew I was affirming and inclusive, and I never kept it a secret, I thought, you know what. As an ordained Church of God pastor, I'm going to write. So that was part of my sabbatical proposal. Our board asked that I not write to the higher ups while I was still employed by Park Place. (laughs) But after I I had done lots of reading, uh, the other things that were on my sabbatical proposal uh, having to do with the LGBTQ community, um, I... After I was retired, I wrote a letter, just a personal letter to uh, Jim Lyon and four other, uh, four other of our top leaders in the Church of God. And these are all, you know, I, I don't want to say they're best buddies, but these are friends. You know, these are people who I call friends and I, I have a relationship with them. And so it wasn't like I was just shooting something out. I, I was, I felt like I was saying something to people who I consider to be friends. And I just stated my, for myself, this is, I am an affirming uh, and inclusive person as a pastor. I think that there's biblical basis for this. Um, And then I, I, in, as a part of that letter, I had some asks as well of the church. Um, And most of that was about uh, being honest, you know, not not being secretive, being honest about our constituency, that I think there are many, many, many of us who are affirming and inclusive and um, being more open to the community, the LGBTQ plus community, being even, even if we don't land on the same place theologically, we have done a horrendous job of our care for this community. Uh, we've done the opposite of that. So um, and then I'm trying to remember, I'm sorry, I should have read that letter one more time before it's been <laughs> a since I wrote it. But um, anyway, so that's my long story. Mm-hmm. And then again, praying, okay, what's next? I got I got responses from, you know, just good leader responses, uh, diplomatic <laughs> responses, but but positive responses from the people that I wrote to. You know, nobody said, yeah, we agree with you. I mean, nobody was there, but um uh positive, encouraging responses. And then I I prayed and I said, you know, uh Lord, how what is the next prompt? What's the next step? And I felt very clear that the next step was some kind of a collaborative effort with people other than myself. Mm-hmm. And I prayed to be inspired uh, of who those names might be, Nick was one of those people. Nick and I had met at seminary when I went back. Um, he was in in getting his um, MTS as well, and um, yeah. So so Chaga Firm those were the those were the beginnings of Chaga Firm. Chaga Firm didn't exist before that collaborative thing happened. But the the catalyst piece, you know, that it was it was for me born out of a, a Holy Spirit prompt um, at many junctures, yeah. several junctures. Yeah. So thanks for letting me tell the long story.
0: <laughs> That's <okay. laughs> it gives us hey, it makes everything else a little bit more smoother, right? For the ride, okay, all okay, out right away. So Nick, <laughs> um, you know, you and Karma met at a, I'm assuming the SOT or somewhere else, and <laughs> SOT. Yes, so that's the school of theology for people who may not, who are non-Church of God people. Um, so, kind of talk a little bit about that meeting with Karma and kind of your involvement in the Kaga firm.
2: Sure, I'm, I'm thinking about you know how how our critics are going to hear that entire backstory and everything leading up to it, yeah. and I can see somebody coming away with blame Anderson College and the <laughs> SOT blame Park Place, and then blame these leaders who when when karma wrote to them gave encouraging responses instead of slapping her down and saying you absolutely cannot hold these kinds of views and if you do hold them don't say anything right i'm thinking about well, i'm that. sure if we look uh, in the
0: archives there's probably lots of church of god controversies outside of the lgbtq
2: area <laughs> oh there there sure there sure have been um, but <laughs> you know speaking of uh, Vern norris who who karma mentioned was her sociology professor at anderson college uh, he enters into this in a big way for the the impetus for for Chaga firm, um, because he, for for years, and it's about into his 90s, was every year by the end of his life. Every year was writing to GA to the general director uh, with this request that we have kind of left unfinished business in 79 when we passed the first resolution. Uh, we have this unfinished business, and we've never actually undergone theological study of this issue. Right. Mm -hmm. We just sort of passed a resolution saying, yeah, we uh, we are on this side of this issue. Uh, And there was talk at the time of having a task force uh, or of using the um, Commission on Social Issues to do a study. And they did some incipient research on this, but were disbanded before any kind of official study came out of it. And in the last years of his life, every single year he wrote and just kind of got brushed aside, never really got a response. Right. And then uh, he died uh, in Um, uh, not of COVID, but subsequent to the COVID pandemic. And that, it was really in his sort of memory and carrying on his work that I came into the project and said, yeah, this is something like, he's not going to be able to write his letter next year, Mm -hmm. right? And that really meant something to me, Um, just kind of watching him from a distance. You know, I didn't know him very well, but I was so inspired by uh, by his legacy and by someone who was so... You know, ahead of the curve. That in the in the sixties and seventies, he was advocating for you know scientific, uh, anthropological understanding of uh, same gender attraction, you know, homosexuality in the parlance of the day. Um, not just uh, you can hear my new puppy. I apologize. Oh. Okay. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, not just uh, you know, following the, the winds of, uh, you know, what's, what's trendy these days, what direction is this, is the society moving in, but, um, really putting his, his career, his position at risk, uh, for something that didn't directly affect him was really inspired by, uh, his understanding of the gospel calling us to, to love. Right. Um, and so that was a lot of my impetus coming into it, but so this is, um, you know, late last year, early this year, we start meeting the the six of us who are the, the author's team listed on the page. Um, and some of them I knew before, some of them I didn't. But we immediately begin gelling, discussing, talking. And we have, you know, we have different ideas for like really we, we met without a clear agenda or idea in advance, like what we're going to be doing. We're just like, let's see. Um, and we bat around the idea of, well, do we write a letter? You know, corporately write a letter that we just you know do what Vern Norris had been doing, right? It's just somebody else is doing it now. Um, or do we try to go to the General Assembly and put for put a resolution um, on the table? Or do we just sort of go public with this and have a sort of stand up and be counted campaign? And obviously, that's the that's the direction that we landed on. Um, Karma had mentioned you know, now I want to talk a little bit about like, like the content of Chaga Firm and the statement on the website. Uh, but, you know, Karma had mentioned she uh, wrote this paper in this class. I I was in that class either a year or two years after she was, and it was the same like final project, right? Like look at, like, look at this as a moral issue informed by scripture, exegesis, hermeneutics, uh, and, and and sort of made that your like, a case study of the method that we had been doing in the ethics class that semester. Um, and the conclusions that I came came away with in that were three items. One, and tailored specifically to the Church of God, but the, specifically, the Church of God should, first of all, absolutely stand up for the civil rights of LGBTQ people, um, the right to marry, and you know, all of the inheritance stuff, tax stuff, all the stuff that sort of at that point set, felt like settled. Uh, subtle policy of the United States now, almost ten years later, it's the pendulum's kind of swinging back the other way. It doesn't feel quite so obvious okay. that those things are uh, written in stone, right? But at the time, that's felt sort of settled, and it felt like sort of an easy ask to say we should, you know, we should support anti discrimination laws and things like that. And then second, that the Church of God should take a um sort of agree to disagree position for members, not members, but you know, Church of God people. <laughs> Uh, ordained ministers. In the same way, the analogy I drew was to, you know, the Church of God has a pacifist heritage, uh, the Church of God Peace Fellowship, and the kind of early pacifist position of the Church of God, which gave way to sort of the standard evangelical support of of military, but we still have in the Church of God pacifists and military chaplains, and they can coexist even within a congregation, but also each congregation can kind of uh, steer itself in terms of which, which direction they pursue and, um, and embrace, uh, and that, uh, L- affirmation should be in the same, you know, same category. And then third, that church of God should become fully affirming. Right. Mm-hmm. And I put them in that order because I think the first one is an easy ask. And I think the second one is, uh, a more difficult ask, but well within kind of the already established uh, tradition of the church of God. And the third one is kind of pie in the sky, uh, it, that's a very difficult ask, and I don't know if that's coming in the, mm-hmm. uh, in, in my lifetime even. You know? But so I kind of ordered them that way, and that really, that ended up kind of structuring how the statement itself was reflected, right? So we have these three sections of the statement, and, and the, they kind of do those, ask the, for those three things, or, or state in a positive sense those three things uh, in that order, in the idea that, well, one is achievable, one is more difficult, and one is aspirational hmm mm-hmm.
0: yeah yeah so yeah and it, i think what's interesting is you know about this creation is it's not like it's just like oh we're just gonna throw something at the wall and see what happens like there's been good like discussion good research good um kind of a good development of saying okay here's kind of where we are and Let's see if we can kind of find people who may be coming to those same conclusions we are when we're thinking about theology, when we're looking at the biblical text, when we're how we read things, Um, which kind of leads to kind of your opening statement, which is um, that says there is a strong biblical and theological and ethical case for affirming same sex partnerships, trans gender identity in existence and gender nonconformity as being fully compatible with christian discipleship and the theological and doctrinal distinctives of the church of god reformation movement so when you say that and someone goes okay well what's your you know what's your biblical case what's your ethical case what's your theological case like like when people ask that question you know, what, what's, how, how do you direct people? Or what would you, how would you go about saying say like, well, here's kind of how we see this on a theological level, how, here's how we've come to this conclusion on a biblical level. So kind of walk me uh, through that steps. Because even just kind of browsing through your website, when I first looked at it, it's like, I don't really see the scriptures or, or the theology. I mean, but I do see a good history of where, you know, you mentioned 1979, or I think that's the correct date. And then just kind of all the letters and the conversations that you've kind of sent to Church God Ministries since forth of let's, let's have this conversation about the affirming of LGBTQ.
1: Nick, go ahead and jump into that and I'll chime in. Sure. Well, we were, you know, very intentional about emphasizing
2: biblical theological and ethical because we think that they really are three interlocking, but separate uh, discussions and we put them in that order because for most uh, uppercase evangelicals and also lowercase evangelicals and for the Church of God, uh, that tends to take primacy, right? Um, But we also were deliberate about not trying to build in, build that case into the statement or even the website uh, initially because we don't, even among the six of us, let alone among the broader, you know, we, we hope that hundreds of people would, uh, find this and, and sign it and agree with it. And, but even among the six of us, we don't all hold the, an identical case. We don't, wouldn't make the case in the same way, um, because we have different accounts of scripture and the way that scripture reflects the mind of God and the way that scripture should, uh, inform the, ethics and theology of the church uh, and the degree to which it should be uh, handled literally versus as literature yet. Yeah, like we have disagreements yeah. even among six of us over that. Right. And so, you know, something you come away with really quickly, if you get into the discussion is it's, there's not a traditional biblical case and an affirming biblical case. There are numerous traditional cases, right? Like um it, the theology of the body of, of St. John Paul II is different from the conservative theology of a Stanley Grins, which is different from the kind of fundamentalist theology of, of Robert Gagnon, which is uh, different from the kind of complementarian theology of a Wayne Grudem. They would all, we would all lump them into the traditional side because they agree on this conclusion that, yeah, uh, same-sex relationships are bad. Uh, but that conclusion doesn't follow from all the same premises or the same readings of the of the bible right and so there are actually interlocking sets of traditional biblical arguments and there are also interlocking sets of of, of affirming arguments right and so if you look at um, like matthew vines works from essentially a literalistic Uh, evangelical account of, you know, the authority of scripture, the literal interpretation of it. Mm. He just says that these passages don't, the passages that are commonly used, the clobber passages of the seven or whatever you want to call them, don't actually uh, address what we in modern society recognize as uh, consensual, loving, same-sex relationships, right? Like that's just not... The target of those passages, and that they didn't have a concept of sexual orientation, and that therefore, when we work in our modern uh, idiom and do have that concept, that really it's just it's it doesn't map onto the terrain of what we're discussing at all, right? Um, so that's that's one way to approach it, but that's not the way that all of us approach it. Um, a, I think something closer to what most of us would hold is the trajectory uh, hermeneutic or the redemptive arc um, hermeneutic that says that you know the n- literal proscriptions and admonitions of the Bible um, are not the primary thing to follow, but instead kind of chart the narrative or the big picture of the Bible. Uh, forward and you know the the, Bi- the bible does teach in many places the submission of women to men and does teach the naturalness of slavery as an institution but if you look at the trajectory of it on forward that you arrive at a um, at a hermeneutic, at an interpretation of those passages that says that the bigger themes the more operative themes are our um, love our grace our the uh, image of God reflected in all people um, are the um, dissolution of hierarchy, including uh, the hierarchy that's reflected in a patriarchal society between men and women, but that a sort of knock-on effect of that is the dissolution of the uh, immorality or impurity or perversity of a same-gender relationship, because that's not actually in violation of some natural order of the hierarchy of men and women, if that is what um, the prohibitions in the Bible are based on. And that, for me, is you know kind of the critical thing that you have to do when you're doing biblical analysis is separate. Uh, so this is kind of separate from trajectory, but is compatible with it. But as a separate issue... That you know, when you're doing biblical analysis, uh, particularly for ethical questions or moral questions, you have to be able to separate what is the command and what is the warrant for that command, right? Whether it's a positive or a negative command, what is it rooted? What lo- moral logic is it rooted in, right? Um, and that brings us into the more you know, broad or open areas of the moral question or the ethical question and the theological question, Mm -hmm. um, which to varying degrees rely on your reading of scripture, your interpretation of scripture, which passages you do and don't apply to the question, you know, how you translate our set of coitas and all of that kind of relies on that, but also relies on uh, these kind of broader ethical frameworks, right? So Mm -hmm. it it gets very, very, very complicated very fast when you're trying to genuinely dig into the discussion, right? Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, the the um the arc. I mean, a lot of times I hear um some theologians that I appreciate listening to um the, the biblical arc of inclusion is a thread woven from the beginning, the beginnings to the ends of scripture. And uh that that inclusive arc that uh where there, there'll be um what was I reading, um Ruth the Moabite, where Moabites are excluded from the the community, and then Ruth comes in, and she's a Moabite, and obviously, you know, this is a prominent Old Testament figure. Um, the the What do you say the the land of Uz? Is that how you how you pronounce that Uz? anyway, is, is a land full of evil people. And then we've got Job, the right, the most righteous among all <laughs> righteous, you know? Um, so, and and then uh, many other stories into the New Testament, they're probably easier to find in the New Testament, but that, that pushback on the inclusion of people that the Bible even pushes back against itself, you know, the account pushes back against itself that says, oh, but then there's this, then we're going to, we're going to be wider. We're going to be wider. Um, And the same or a similar kind of thread is uh, a mercy thread. Just this God of the old Testament who uh, a lot of the, the ways that, that, that God is written about in the old Testament are just, shockingly abhorrent to, uh, to our, to our 21st century sensitivities. And yet uh, there, there are just story after story after story where God draws the line, the people cross the line or they don't tow the line and God has mercy. You know, God has mercy. God opens us. And and then we go to the new Testament story of the good Samaritan where Jesus asks, you know, who is the neighbor And he says, the one who shows him mercy and, and I, you know, um, who is the good neighbor. So, you know, that, that mercy thread is monstrous and go into what Nick is saying about the whole of scripture and how it informs our view of God, our understanding of God and the nature of God. Um, And, and for me, it is irresponsible to take the the clobber passages and translate them to a 21st century reality which we are much more aware of the the varieties of um even just chromosomal makeup <laughs> you know um we have more awareness of of what makes up the our identities and our orientation and uh and to translate those few verses you know, relatively few verses and to just pick them up without any kind of looking at the historical context, um, before we do that, before we translate for the 21st century, um, is irresponsible to me as, as a Christ follower, as a person who, uh, really has great respect for Holy scripture.
0: Yeah. And I think, and I think just when you think about just the biblical aspect of everything, uh, one thing that my one of my professors, uh, L. Daniel Hawk over at Ashland, uh, one of the things he always says when he talks about biblical studies and studying the Bible, he says sometimes the best way to study the Bible is in community, um, having dialogue, having conversation. Because even if we're reading a passage like one of those, like you know, clobber passages, and <laughs> we're reading it and we're diving and we're talking about the different aspects or word studies or what in cultural significance, you know, there may be a time where we might be whoa, 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 whoa. And here's what my resource says. Here's what your resource says. Here's what we're finding. But as we discuss in community, we're starting to get more of a richness and a better understanding of what's happening. And Mm -hmm. I think that's something where your casual conversation with somebody is not going to go there. Cause I think there's your casual church person probably unless they really want to go deep they probably will but if they don't they just want to deal with stuff that's on the surface and sometimes you know conversations I've had where I've discussed certain t- passages I go well let's kind of talk about this and they're like oh no no like they don't want to they don't want to go there um when I think about the idea of um, you know I think of how people look at the Bible, or how they look at the world through a different lens. And i always fall back to the Wesleyan quadrilateral of looking at things through scripture, reason, tradition, and then there's experience. And I think experience is one of those things that people kind of put on a very low end of the quadrilateral, but it's also very important when you think about you know, we could look at people like um, a Rosaria Butterfield or a Jackie Hill Perry and their experiences, but then you can also look at a Mel White and you can also look at um, the author or the, of the blog Blue Babies Pink, a BT Heyman, which talks about their LGBTQ experiences and say, hey, I love Jesus and yet I still have same-sex attraction and I've gone through counseling, I've done all this work and yet still, you know... Jesus didn't cure me of anything and yet I have a strong relationship with Christ and yet I still identify as a gay man. And I think the experiential part of it is what has been your experiences of being in the LGBTQIA community talking with people how has how has your experience come when you talk about their faith development or even sometimes with their interactions with the church or with the church of God more specifically?
1: Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll jump in. And Nick, you, you have read those stories over and over again, probably more than I have, because you're receiving them directly. Um, that that's been one piece. If I had to say what has been the most profound piece uh, of this journey over the last several months, it is I would say the the stories, hearing the stories of people has been profound. Um, um, Stories of people who will say this has traumatized me, my experience uh, with the church, because I am a part of the queer community Um, um, and, and the, the uh, distancing and the, the teaching that, That is sin. It's shameful. Some some pastors will still use the word abomination Um, and including the secretiveness. I think that's that's part of it, too. But hearing the stories of people who had just have been traumatized, have have had to go to counseling, have uh, some have left their faith. That's the most tragic to me. I'm I'm thrilled when I hear the story of someone who has gone through that disillusionment uh because of their orientation or their their identity, but they have continued to find faith to in God to be uh a strong space in their life, you know, a, a core piece of their life. So, but I think it takes a lot of tenacity, a lot of uh resource, personal or you know outside yourself resource to to do that and land there, so yeah, just hearing those stories um it, it's pretty powerful, pretty powerful mm-hmm. I mean, it
2: I yeah no I, i've I've been really blown away by how significant ju- just what little we've done, which is essentially to put up a website with a statement, but you know I'm such a results oriented person that I think well, this will matter if something good comes of it right but it it, so it really took me off guard how just significant that act alone just the visibility of it has been for so many people who have contacted us uh, including signers but also some non-signers right people who can't sign for various reasons or people you know who are are themselves queer christians but are not church of god in their background, and so they don't have any place to sign, or don't feel that like they have any place to sign, um, but nevertheless see this and, and are just moved or comforted, or it you know it's a meaningful thing for people. Um, just the visibility. Um, also, talk you know talking about the role of experience. Uh, one thing that we were deliberate in including when we crafted the statement is we used this phrase a few, a couple of times: um, gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender, and queer Christians. Right, and I'm so glad that we were able to use that because you know we know we know people we knew people ahead of time you know in advance of this but also have met people through the publishing of chaga firm who were uh, gay or lesbian or bisexual christians at anderson college in the 1960s right that's some people some people we know and are, are lifelong friends with and some people we've met because of this you know i my undergrad was at mid-america christian university Uh, in the very early 2000s. It was Mid-America Bible College when I was accepted and became Mid-America Christian University the next year. Mm -hmm. And I had uh, gay and queer classmates uh, and roommates uh, at Mid-America at the time, right? You think of it as like the conservative bastion. Um, But there was nothing... um, There have been gay Church of God people for uh, as far as I know, as long as there have been Church of God people, right? Like... um, and so one of the negative reactions that we've seen, uh, you know, especially, you know, when the website first went live, was, was folks saying that, oh, the LGBT agenda, you know, it's 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 done its damage to the Methodist Church and now they're coming into the church of God to try to tear us apart. And you know, from our perspective, no, we, we are not coming from outside the church of God. We have been in the church of God and we are speaking from our church of God. Um Perspective on behalf of some, you know, LGBT folks who have been part of the Church of God longer than I've been alive, right? So, its um, experience has been deeply shaping to everything that we've everything that we've done.
0: Yeah, yeah, and it's an interesting how I've, I've had people in the Church of God mention the whole Methodist thing, and for someone who's Ordained Church of God, but works in a Methodist church uh-huh, mainly yeah. because of Ministry Connector being a piece of garbage. Um, um you know, <laughs> I mean, literally, I'm not gonna hold back on that, but um, just is... it's been very interesting just talking with, with Scott. You have Atlas, the, oh, <laughs> Atlas is a few, Atlas isn't much better. <laughs> I'm gonna say that too, but uh, oh well, I'll get in trouble, it's okay. Um, but anyway. I, But even with that, like, you know, the whole part of the Methodist thing, or at least the thing that I've seen is that there was the affirming piece within the UMC and then, but the book of discipline said something completely different and they just didn't, they didn't just like kind of tackle it or change the verbiage or, you know, and I think because they just kind of allowed it and didn't change it, then someone's like, wait a minute. yeah, those people who are kind of saying, wait a minute. And because they kind of, you know, Brush it under the rug so much, it ended up becoming, it ended up becoming an implosion. Where I feel like, just from your examples of, hey, you know, this professor's been writing a letter, this Ver- Dr. Vernon's been writing a letter to GA and to the leadership, hey, let's get a task force, let's talk about this, let's let's sit at the table and let's discuss, you know, how the Church of God could be affirming of LG- the LGBTQ community, and their silence, which so now it's like. The website kind of became like a big blowhorn, like a foghorn, which, you know, we talk about the launch of the website, which I find so fascinating because I think it was, I was just looking back at the archives within our podcast when we first did the part one of talking about the Church Got It From website, and that was like May, and I still remember we posted whatever podcast we did before that one, and all of a sudden, weird cryptic social media posts. There's a group of people that say they're with us, but they're not. If you want official news of what the Church of God believes, this is what Facebook page you want to be on it. And I'm thinking, what the heck are they talking about? (laughs) Like, I had no clue. And then when someone posted the Church of God Affirm link on there in the comments, I'm like, oh, what's this? And I click on it, and I'm like, oh, okay. And I remember reading it and looking at the signatures, and I think at that time, besides the author signatures and the initial signatures, the active signatures— was pretty small i can't remember and i remember looking through there it's like all right i recognize one or two people and then by the time me and Micah recorded that first podcast i'm looking back through the signatures i'm like oh i there's more people who signed this thing <laughs> there's like more people and even now i'm looking through there i'm like oh that that's a new name i've seen i know that person and so it, it almost kind of became a big um it it's it, I, I hate to say it, but I think the Church of God kind of did you guys a favor by alluding to something that was like, what are they talking about? Huh? Because, you know, people are gossipy and they want to know. So since the launch of this website, what has been kind of the response you have gotten from, you know, not only other Church of God pastors and leaders, but even people like outside? And Nick, you kind of hit on that a little bit. But what has been kind of more reaction after this kind of became well known now and it's out to now everybody knows about it?
2: Sure. so we, we have not we have not published a response to every state state uh, ministries who responded to us um, we responded to uh, Indiana ministries in particular which was essentially the first and then uh, we, we have uh, we've been collecting the of statements that we've seen, it's been surprising to me how many states or regions have not issued an official statement. I don't know what they're- circ- circulating internally, but you know we have about uh ten kind of official responses Right pastor's fellowship was also very early um writing a response that I think wisely to 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 your point did not name us by names, but it was clear what mm-hmm. they were responding to mm-hmm. um, and, you know, then several states issued statements, some of which were essentially a copy pasting of the Indiana Ministry statement. Uh, they just uh, kind of changed a few of the details for their whatever the internal processes in their state were, but with the same idea our credentialing team will be speaking with any ordained person who signed this. Um, and then we'll have to review your you know, fitness to continue in service based on those conversations. But a few states issued completely independent statements that they actually wrote themselves. Uh, And of those, at least one was much more uh, negative and aggressive than the Indiana Ministry statement and was, in fact, very critical of Church of God Ministries, the national leadership, for some of the things that, that you've pointed out on your podcast, for the way that they responded cryptically at first, and then also for not... Immediately condemning it and coming down very negatively against it. So at least one state was sort of mm-hmm. Chaga firm is bad, and also national leadership is bad for not crushing Chaga firm as you know stolidly as they could have, right? So those yeah. are kind of some of the official statements. We're also aware of you know some states and and regions who didn't issue official statements, but did have you know immediately begin having internal meetings with their pastors, their state leadership, and came to the conclusion that we are going to make it a matter of indifference and our and our pastors are free to sign or not as they choose. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, air less publicly, which, you know, that yeah. kind of
0: thing. A couple <laughs> much about that. Or at least um, it seems like they're having a discussion, but within their own state or within their own region, mm-hmm. depending if it's way out west where you have like five states in one region, just kind of right. not making a big public deal. It's like, well, let's sit, let's talk about it and let's kind of, do what, you know, what you guys want the national office to do, to sit at the table and talk.
2: Yeah. And then the, you know, then Jim and Joshua Brandt had their Facebook Live um response, which we were, you know, we I think wrote a you know, we published a sort of response and summary of that and the aspects of it that we uh, agreed with and some areas where we would uh, differ. Um, uh, in general. I, and I don't, you know, I think that among the six of us, we had, we uh, had different responses to all of that or different, excuse me, impressions of that. But, you know, I felt pretty positive about the response that, you know, once they actually gave a response and talked about Chaga by name and discussed, you know, the process by which things change, all of that. Um, you know, I felt pretty positive about the, the response, although I'm not confident you know that we're going to see actual movement happen in terms of will we actually establish a task force to look at human sexuality in a holistic way like not just the lgbtq question quote unquote mm-hmm. but you know a broader account of this uh, that's something that jim says he recommends and we'll, you know we'll see what happens right um but so, you know, that's kind of talking about the official responses, the unofficial responses, you know, we saw lots of vitriol, especially on Facebook, that was, you know, these outsiders, these people aren't even Christians, or, you know, I, I'm i the one who monitors the contact email for the, the website, and uh, a lot of signed. I don't think we actually, I, I don't think we got any anonymous feedback. I think we got a lot of signed feedback from people who were very happy to sign their name to a letter telling us, you know, what terrible people we were uh, happy to repeat, you know, abomination language and that we, uh, you know, all sorts of stuff like that um, that didn't make it onto Facebook. Right. But also, like I said, lots of um, positive feedback, a lot of people who um, were very touched, moved, you know, restores my faith in the church. Like I'm paraphrasing there,
1: but that kind of idea. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Karma, did
0: you have anything to add to that?
1: Um, I don't think I have anything to add. I'm just, I'm just thinking here as I, as I listen um, for Chaga firm, it's kind of like, we've got a couple paths going where there, there is, there is a hope and, and it, you know, It's a hope that that's, I should, I don't want to say that's all it is because hope can be really big, but there is a hope that this voice can uh, create positive conversation, increased understanding, increased awareness and education, uh, uh, increased um, digging in to scripture uh, in in a holistic way, in a healthy way, um, and uh, reduction of harm for the LGBTQ plus community within ch- the church world. Um, so th- there there is a, a lot of hope that this voice will help do that. there Then there's a parallel line that that is our bottom line is we want the LGBTQ plus community and those who are allies to know that we see them and we are with them. And we want to be, we want to walk with them in the world and in, in Jesus name, in the name of our Lord, you know uh, we're, we're not just, you know, walking with them in the world uh, just cause karma, you know, or Nick or, or any one of us as authors, it's um, because of our, understanding of the Jesus of the Bible uh, as the full representation of God.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So to kind of, kind of wrap this up, you know, what are your plans moving forward? I mean, you've mentioned before, there's been a history of sending letters to GA, like now that you have, now that there's kind of momentum, I guess I would say momentum in your direction and the ball's kind of your court. Like, do you try to make an appeal to, GA to bring it onto the ballot to be discussed at a general assembly. Do you start by seeing if there's any churches like Karma, like you said, like you and uh, Pastor uh, Markle, saying, "Hey, can we have something on a Sunday evening, like a round table? Let's have a discussion. And one has a traditional view, one has kind of a, a, an affirming view, and let's have a dialogue. Let's have a conversation. Like what? What are your what are you thinking? Are your next steps from from this? Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, our our hope, and Nick, I want you to address this as well. I, I know we, we talk about this all the time. We are a fledgling organization. I want to say that right up from the beginning. Um, and I see this as a Holy Spirit empowered organization. Uh, we are working on um, giving a little bit more definition within the founding team right now. And um, seeking what that what that definition looks like, um, and our hope is to uh, include more voices in uh, in that would influence the direction that we take. That's that's one step to to uh, include people beyond the six of us who live in maybe other parts of the states to uh, speak into the next steps. And encouraging forum settings, small group settings, empowering the local church to be a more friendly, safe space uh, for the LGBTQ plus community, regardless of where we land on our uh, views, traditional revisionist, you know, whatever you're going to call it, um, just to be more of a safe space. In fact, I'm going to a conference uh, that that Matthew Vines um uh, organization, Reformation Project, uh, supports, well, they, they put it on, they put on this conference in Nashville, uh, in the end of this month. And that's the intent of the conference is, um, traditional to revisionist churches, pastors, leaders coming together to learn ways that we can make safer spaces within our church congregations. So empowering that, um, um, host we we recently hosted an event for allies and lgbtq plus um and you know maybe maybe uh having a template of ways people can do that in other parts of the states that kind of thing just affirming positive fun settings that are safe spaces to be entertained to share food across the table and and uh to play and and enjoy together. Um, So those are the kinds of things we're thinking, but Nick, I want you to talk about the, the possibilities, you know, with engaging in the powers that be, (laughs) Uh, I guess.
2: Sure. Well, well, you know, the thing that I've seen the most fear expressed about is that, you know, this, this Chaga firm group is going to um, put a motion through at GA and it's going to pass, and then my church in Kentucky is going to have to start um, marrying same-sex couples, or else we'll get in trouble, right? Like that's that's a fear I hear expressed, and of course, a lot of people say I will turn in my credentials before I will be part of a church of God that mandates affirmation at, for my church, right? Um, and so I can, I think I can comfort a lot of people by saying we do not have plans to mandate affirmation through uh, GA or anything like that. Um, in fact, uh, I, I nobody uh, from our signers or people that we've been involved with, uh, nobody has explicitly asked us to put forward any motion at General Assembly, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, like I said, when we very first met, we had this kind of open, like, you know, what, like, let's just think through all of the possibilities. And that was a possibility very early on discussed and dismissed for, you know, a few reasons. One being, um, I, you know, our understanding of the nature and polity and theological tradition of the Church of God kind of invades against mandates from mm-hmm. GA that it becomes binding on churches. Like, that's kind of what we're against, right, yeah. rather than what we're trying just no, we just need our side to win that ecclesiastical debate. Like that's not what we're trying to do. Um, and I think that I think that the constant struggle with affirming women in ministry shows the uh, shortcomings of that approach. Right? Like everything that the that the Justice and Equity Task Force reported that uh, even you could build it into the bylaws for ordination and. Re- require everyone to say that they're on it and you can get the congregations to sign off on it and put it in every state's uh ethics code Uh, and congregations will still find ways to say you know hey on paper we're accepting applications from um, both men and women but in practice well you know turns out the man was right for the job yet again right like yeah that's just it's we don't believe in that as a um as what the church of god should be right what i would be much more interested in doing through ga uh would be something like i would love to put like from chaga firm or from you know people who are clearly from chaga firm uh, perspective put forward a motion that is theologically unobjectionable that you know the traditionalists would absolutely agree with right um just the Church of God should take a stand condemning th- violence and threats of violence against LGBT people and affirming people and parents of LGBT kids, right? Like we're in such a political climate of just, it's just open season. You can threaten violence on a children's hospital because they're doing uh, affirming, gender affirming care or, you know, X, Y, or Z, right? We're in a time when the KKK is leafleting in, in Kentucky and Tennessee and they're not leafleting against uh, Black people. They're leafleting against uh, LGBT people and quote unquote groomers, right? Like this is the, the terms of our discourse. The Church of God could condemn that without changing anything about our traditional views on marriage, right? And that's mm-hmm. that's the kind of thing I would be much more interested in, in seeing and and having Church of God affirm, try to advance. Um, what we're most interested in is not like changing the way you are conducting your congregation um, in terms of whether or not you're doing same sex marriages or not, or have a gay pastor or not. Um, but you know, we're, we're at this point most interested in being a, a durable, persistent voice that is cutting above the silence and the culture of silence that has sort of just pretended that LGBT Christians and affirming Christians have never existed in the church of God. Right. So just being visible and also creating something that exists beyond the six of us, right. Like after we're all, you know, retired from doing this kind of work um, and also, yeah, spreads across space as well. So we would love for this to be something that kind of replicates. And we have, yeah, like you said, have similar discussions in congreg- in Church of God congregations all across the country, not to come to one conclusion or the other, but mm-hmm. just just to model we can have these conversations and not excommunicate one another. So mm-hmm. I'm not concerned that there's going to be a church split over this. Right. I, I hope I'm not preempting the next question. Uh, that's something that be fearful about. Uh, well, this
0: I is the last, I'm asking, I already asked the last question. There's no questions after this.
2: Well, I could just filibuster them.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> but I'm not concerned that there's going to be a church split. Um, in part, you know, let, to comfort to comfort our opponents, I don't think the numbers are there. Yes. You know, I think that there. I mean, I know that there are. A lot more affirming Christians, a lot more affirming LGBT, or a lot more affirming Church of God people. I
1: apologize. I'm going to go turn a light on and I'm going to mute myself. Okay.
2: <laughs> yeah, I know that there are a lot more affirming yeah. uh, folks in the Church of God than uh, a lot of people want to admit or than they recognize. Um, but it's it's not enough to get a motion passed in GA, right? Um, but the, I think the status quo has essentially been a long-term, or I'd say a gradual but decisive split where LGBT folks are pushed out of the Church of God, just not all in one fell swoop, but it happens constantly. It has happened over the years. You know, so so many of our stories have come from pastors who are now in the Methodist Church or Disciples of Christ or somewhere else, and they were forced out because yeah, yeah. later in life they came out or were caught out and discovered oh, you're you're gay. You're gone, right? Yeah. Um, and so I think just the power to be a visible affirming group uh, within the Church of God that continues to exist within the Church of God. We're not going to take our ball and leave. Because where would we go? We're church of God people, right? Like that's that's what we see ourselves doing.
0: Good, good. And I think that kind of you know, I think that's very important just to kind of know where you guys are heading. And I think, you know, just to kind of sum up, your heading is like, hey, let's have the discussion, let's talk, and let's, you know, kind of be a church where we can kind of be a safe space for individuals of LGBTQ and not just say, Oh yeah if if someone, like if, you know, if a trans man came into our church, we, we allow them to come and worship with us and they say it, but then they never do it in practice, right? If that ever does happen, it's like, oh, well, okay. <laughs> like, you know, it's, it's almost like they say something, but they don't really mean it. And I think this is kind of like saying, well, let's put our money where our mouth is. Say we're going to be a safe, create a safe space within our churches for the LGBTQ community. Then let's put that into practice. If you don't know, really know how to do it, Well, hey, let's you know, we can we can teach you how to do it. We can give you resources on how to do it. I know you have a bunch of resources on your website for people to look into and kind of read stuff and kind of look at it. So no, this has been this has been very informative and thank you guys for taking time out of your day to kind of talk a little bit more about Cog what you guys stand for and what you guys are trying to do. And I think, um, I, I think I like I've learned a lot more, uh, just by having the conversation with you. And I hope the people who listen to this, especially those within the Church of God, can kind of have more clarity and kind of have a better understanding of, of kind of what Cog affirm is. So thank you guys so much for uh, sharing uh, your lives and your stories with us.
1: Thank you, Scott. Appreciate your setting. And Micah, I'm sorry you aren't feeling well.
0: It's okay. okay. I appreciate yeah. you guys sharing and appreciate you being on. and. Uh, maybe we can have you come back and we'll do like a part two or something
1: great i love it sounds good
0: and everybody thank you so much for listening hopefully you found this podcast helpful and if you enjoy this podcast feel free to you know give us a five-star review or give us a one-star review if you absolutely hate this podcast like i'm not going to tell you what to do but anyway thank you guys so much for listening i hope you have a great week and we'll be back on with another episode take care